Welcome to Fight Back Radio, the Marxist voice of labor and youth in Canada, and the best source for a revolutionary analysis of current events, perspectives, and theory. With the death of Prince Philip, the media has spent weeks bombarding us with praise of the world's highest paid unemployed family. This comes after a string of scandals involving the royals. Each new scandal reminds us that the monarchy continues to be at the heart of the Canadian political system. It is high time to abolish this costly, archaic, unnecessary, and anti-democratic institution. How can this be done? What is the Marxist analysis of the monarchy in Canada and Quebec? In this talk, Benoit Tonguet, editor of La Riposte Socialiste, discusses how to abolish the monarchy in Canada. If you're if you're like me, you probably don't usually care that much about the the royal family. You know, a super rich family that somehow gets a lot of attention, a lot of media attention, but nobody really is really sure what they do for a living. No, I guess in this in this sense, you could say that they are like the original Kardashians. Except that these the Kardashians are not payroll by the the taxpayers. Uh, but yeah, they've they've been in the news a lot lately. Uh, so uh, Christina mentioned that, yeah, of course, uh, Prince Philip died, the, the Harry and Meghan interview, you know, the royal family very concerned that the new royal baby would not be pale enough to their taste. And, and of course, it's not at all surprising uh, from a, coming from a family that was at, at the head of, a, of the British Empire that really brutally colonized so many countries and peoples. And in Canada recently, there was, of course, the, the Julie Payette scandal, you know, where the governor general who had to resign for having abused her employees. Uh, and there's also the, the lieutenant governors, the representatives of the crown in the provinces that are also not free of scandal. Um, uh, for, for those of you in English Canada who maybe don't know about this, in 2016, the previous uh, lieutenant governor of Quebec ended up in jail for embezzlement. Um, and we have a, another feudal institution that is often mired in scandal is, is the Senate. Uh, maybe some of you remember the, the Senate expenses scandal of 2013. Uh, so it's not surprising that the monarchy and all these feudal relics are, are less and less popular in, in Canada. According to a recent poll, 53% of, Can of Canadians believe that the, the British monarchy is outdated and has no place in the 21st century. But uh, yeah, there's an, an attitude that we often see according to which the, the main problem with the monarchy in the Senate is that it is expensive and not unnecessary. And of course, it's clear that the monarchy is the most generous unemployment program there is. Uh, but uh, uh, um, but the, this attitude that, that takes the monarchy as, as something essentially armless it is often found on the left but it is it's, it's quite wrong actually yeah there, there was Jagmeet Singh leader of the NDP that, that said simply I don't see the point of the monarchy in the lives of Canadian uh, and he and then he proceeded to send in his condolences to the Queen for Philip's death uh, as if she'll read his tweet and feel a little bit better uh, but as Marxists we understand that um, we underline that it, this attitude is a mistake in fact, the, the, the monarchy in Canada, as in the UK, plays a, an important role in maintaining the established order. 
it's not just the feudal relic that we can just shrug our shoulders about because oh, it's too it's useless, but it's it's too hard to get rid of. Actually, it's an uh, it's an essential feature of the the rule of the Canadian ruling class. Yes, in, in normal time, the Senate, the the Governor General, the lieutenant governors, they seem fairly harmless. They they don't do much. They they seem quite neutral. In everyday life, you know, senators are just glorified cop copy editors that read over laws and make sure there are no gross mistakes and stuff like that. The the governor general and lieutenant governors, they, they represent the queen in ceremonies and they sign laws and they approve decisions that are that that have been made by by others. But in fact, this is just an appearance of neutrality. Uh, the English constitutional scholar uh, Walter Bajat uh, wrote a, a classic bo book on monarchy called the, the English Constitution. He wrote that in, in the, uh, the middle of the 19th century. And he was a monarchist himself, uh, but he, he said things quite openly. Huh? Uh, uh, if you've watched the, the series The Crown, they, they quoted uh, uh, a couple of times. And, and he said, um, the nation is divided into parties, but the crown is of no party. Its apparent separation from business is that which removes it both from enmities and from desecra desecration, which preserves its mystery, which enables it to combine the affection of, of conflicting parties or to be as a visible symbol of unity to those uh, still so imperfectly educated as to need a symbol. It was very, uh, uh, he, didn't, he thought people were dumb. Uh, he thought the working class was not smart enough to to rule, and uh, and that's the the attitude behind the crown in general, yeah, behind the monarchy. And in short, the, the crown. So what he's saying is the crown in normal times is neutral, but that neutrality serves to preserve the unity behind it. Um, and and this unity has a purpose. It's a reserve weapon of the the ruling class. Uh, in fact, normally political life in our society is is dominated by the, the parliamentary games. You know, the, the different parties exchange power, they compete, they bicker, but nothing fundamentally changes between them. The different parties, especially the, the parties of the ruling class, like the conservatives and the, the liberals, they don't really, they don't challenge the rule of the capitalists, that is of the bankers, businessmen, and landlords that own much of the economy. But in the event of danger to the rule of the, the capitalists, that is in extreme in extreme cases where the class struggles become so intense that the game of parliamentarism uh, becomes uh, can no longer uh, keep control. The crown can be counted on to to defend the status quo. In such a deep political crisis, the crown serves as a neutral figure behind which uh, all reactionary forces in society can rally. And the Russian revolutionary uh, Leon Trotsky explained, for example, about, about the, the, the English royalty. He said, in case of need, the bourgeoisie um, can take advantage of the royalty with the greatest success as the rallying center of all the extra par parliamentary, that is to say real, forces directed against the working class. Uh, so a reserve weapon of the of reaction. Um, and moreover, it should, we should remember that the queen, according to the constitution still written, the, the constitution, the queen remains the formal head of Canada's military. Uh, so she, well, yeah, the, 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 heart, the army would, would, could rally behind her. 
Uh, in fact, the, the, the neutrality of the crown, it conceals that it does have a bias. It's not neutral, but it has a class bias. So it's neutral between the different parties of the, uh, the it, it's neutral between the different parties that different that represent different wings of the bourgeoisie. But it, so it does, the, the crown doesn't care whether uh, it's the conservative or the liberal party in power, as long as the, the party in power defends the interests of the capitalist ruling class. But parliament could not be used to defend the interests of the working class, of the workers. Uh, that would be totally unacceptable. Uh, in fact, throughout history, the, the ruling class has, has resisted ruling class the, the right to vote. Um, there was property qualification, uh, so the, the the right to vote was based on on property ownership, uh, which that was historically the, the the means by which the 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 bourgeoisie kept the right to vote between uh, limited the right to vote. Um, to itself, and, and it's only relatively late that it was abolished around the, the end of the 19th century, the beginning of the 20th century, depending on the country. Uh, and so uh, the, the, the capitalist class was forced, often through struggle, to give us a little democracy, uh, but, but made sure that we, we could not use it to, to challenge its rule. The institution of the crown and the senate say, serve as a safeguard so that they do not lose control of the so-called democracy in, in which we live. And uh, Walter Bajat, again, uh, explained, the, uh, and explained I, the, uh, and I quote, the king possesses, possesses a, a power according to theory for extreme use on a critical occasion, but which he can in law use on any occasion. He can dissolve, he can say to his minister, in fact, if not in word, this parliament sent you here, but I will see if I cannot get another parliament to send someone else here. Uh, and it's much the same in our in our political and legal system that was copied actually on the, the English model. Uh, that's why the governor general has emergency powers and has the power to remove the prime minister, for example. Uh, normally the convention is that the, the governor general appoints the leader of the part of the party that has a majority as a parliamentary majority as prime minister, but the theoretically the, the governor general has a, has a choice. Uh, even uh, Quebec's uh, current uh, Luton governor, Michel Doyon, has said that his powers are not just symbolic and that he, he would be willing to use them. And it has happened on several occasions that the representatives of the crown have intervened in politics. Some might remember in 2008 when governor general Michel Jean uh, allowed Stephen Harper to stay in power by proroguing parliament to protect him from a no, uh, no confidence vote and refused to give a, a power to a liberal NDP coalition majority. Um, but there's a, also a lesser known case that demonstrates, demonstrates very clearly uh, what the, the role of, of the, the governor general is. And that's the case, it's the case of the Australian constitutional crisis of 1975, and it's quite revealing. Uh, as, as you know, Australia is another country of the Commonwealth and still formally under the, the British crown with a governor general. And in 1972, there was a, uh, a and the Australian Labour Party was, was elected to government. Um, the, the, the government, uh, this, this government attempted to, to pass several progressive reforms during its term. 
Um, but as Marxists, we, uh, we often explain that you cannot reform capitalism. Those who try to rule uh, for the workers within, within the confines of capitalism end up in crisis. And this is what happened to the Australian Labour Party. And after three years, the, the ruling class finally had enough. And the, the governor general took power away from the, the, the Australian Labour Party and gave it to the, the Liberal Party, which was in minority. Um, so the, these power are these powers are not just theoretical. Um, we we also have the, the another um, quite feudal institution, the the, the Senate. Uh, it's not quite the monarchy, but we can just put it together, put them in the same category. Uh, it, it has its its roots in the nobility in the Middle Ages. Uh, as you can as you probably know, the, the Canadian Parliament is made up of two houses, the lower houses, that's the, the, the lower house, the House of Commons, where the MPs sit, and also the, the upper house, the, the Senate, which is modeled on the, the House of Lords of, of Britain. Um, and the House of Lords is a very old institution that originates from the Magnum Concilium, the Great Council of Nobles, established by William the Conqueror in the 11th century, <laughs> and at that time made up of high barons and bishops and archbishops of the kingdom. And as the bourgeoisie gained ground, gained power in England, the House of Lords lost ground to the House of Commons. But it remained an institution composed of the elite to provide, uh, so uh, quote, sober second thought on laws. And that that is the model that was being emulated when the Canadian Senate was created um, by the, the Act of Confederation in 1867. Um, and those are those are not my words. Uh, am I muted? Am I okay? Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, so those are, are not my words. Those are the words of the, the Supreme Court of Canada. Um, and to clear up any doubt uh, about the role it has, at the time of its creation, Johnny McDonald, the, the first of uh, Canada, Canada's uh, prime ministers explained that the Senate's uh, role was to protect the minority from democracy, but not just in any minority. He said, and I quote him, he said, we must protect the right of minorities and the rich are always fewer in number than the poor. Um, and I, rem I remind you that the Canadian Senate is still today made up of unelected people, made up of people who can be trusted by the ruling class to protect the established order. Uh, the, the Senate still has the power to block legislation but passed by the House of Commons, to, to block decisions that are supposed to represent the democratic will of Canadians. Uh, and once again, it has been known to use this power for truly undemocratic reactionary purposes. For example, uh, maybe the, the more glaring example is, is when it, it uh, was used to block the repeal of Section 98 of the Criminal Code, and to just give you a brief uh, explanation of what that is, um, a, Section 98 of the Criminal Code was adopted in 1919 by the Conservative Party uh, in response to the insurrectionary uh, Winnipeg general strike, uh, which is, by the way, it's a fascinating history. And especially if you thought Can Canada had no revolutionary history, I encourage you to read about the Winnipeg general strike. Um, but, but then in the 20s and 30s, 
there was a, a rise or a, uh, the, the Communist Party was uh, of Canada was becoming more and more popular. The class struggle in general was picking up. And Section, eight, uh, Section 98 was a very vague and very um, broad uh, um, section that was used as a weapon for the police to, to terrorize and to criminalize trade union activists and members of revolutionary organizations. And it, uh, it was the, the most uh, well-known case was when it, it was used to put uh, eight leading members of the uh, Communist uh, Party of Canada in jail. Uh, in short, it was a truly authoritarian, repressive, anti-democratic piece of legislation used against the lot. Um, and at least, and so the, the, the House of Commons uh, tried repeatedly to repeal it uh, throughout the 20s and 30s, but seven times the Senate uh, blocked the, the democratic will that was supposed to be uh, expressed. Uh, so uh, truly uh, reactionary and anti-democratic. And as with the, the governor general or lieutenant uh, uh, governor, uh, often we think, oh, the Senate doesn't do anything, but in this, it's the same thing. This This power is is rarely used in, in order to better preserve it. Um, so all, all that is to say uh, that, yes, it's true that all these institutions cost millions per year in, uh, in public spending, but that's that's not the root of the, the problem. That's not the worst thing about them. Uh, the, the monarchy in the Senate must be abolished because they are reserve weapons of the ruling class. They're anti-democratic and reactionary tools that will be used against the workers, against any serious threat to the status quo. <clears throat> so how do we get rid of it? Well, turns out it would be quite hard. <laughs> In fact, the, the current legal uh, framework makes it virtually impossible to touch the monarchy and the Senate. Uh, while the, the UK could technically abolish the, the monarchy by a majority vote in parliament, Canada uh, has very cumbersome procedures. Um, unlike the, the UK, which has an unwritten constitution, the powers of the monarchy and the Senate are enshrined in, a, in the written constitution, which is very difficult to change. Uh, Canada's constitution, which was originally a British law, was repatriated in 1982 by Carrière Trudeau, without Quebec's con consent, by the way. Uh, at that time, uh, they adopted very complex constitutional amendment procedures. And according to constitutional law expert Emmett, Emmett McFarlane, Canada arguably, uh, arguably has the most difficult to amend constitution in the world. Uh, to abolish the Senate or even just to make changes to the offices of the Queen, the Governor General and the Lieutenant Governor, uh, it would require the unanimous consent of the provincial legislatures, the Senate, and the House of Commons. This means that each province practically has a veto on the abolition of the Senate and the monarchy. So in the event of negotiations on such a constitutional amendment, they can all use that veto to ask for every little thing that would suit them. A little power here, a little concession there, and get me a fry with that. Thank you very much. And even, even the unelected Senate has a veto uh, over its own abolition. 
that makes constitutional amendment procedures a real mess. It's like a panda, Pandora's box that the, the Canadian ruling class has no desire to open. Uh, in the UK, they, they say that the three pillars of the system are the church, the crown, and the Tory party. And if one of uh, these were to collapse, the whole order would be overturned. Uh, similarly, one could say that in, in Canada, the three pillars that uh, you cannot touch are the Canadian constitution, the Liberal Party, and hockey. And that, that's why hardly anyone in Canada and Canadian politics is seriously talking about abolishing the, the monarchy. Not only is the ruling class quite happy to have um, the, uh, the monarchy to protect themselves uh, against the dangers of democracy, but it, it would be very risky politically and it could rip through the fabric of uh, the country. And uh, the National Post uh, put it very clearly. It said that getting rid of the monarchy would entail sweeping constitutional reforms that would require tre tremendous effort and a huge expense with very little benefit. It would also, well, very little benefit for them. Uh, so it, uh, I continue. It would also necessitate a historic agreement between Canada's increasingly disparate, dis, disparate, disparate regions and nationalities that could very easily tear the country apart. And so uh, they, they make vague, but it's essentially empty speeches. Uh, for example, we have Justin Trudeau who said that in response to the Harry and Meghan interview, he said, there are many institutions that we have in this country, including that big building right across the street from us, Parliament, that has and is built around a system of colonialism, of discrimination, of systemic racism in all of our institutions. But the answer is not to suddenly toss out all the institutions and start over. And so for, for those of you who don't understand Trudeau speak, that means, I don't know, but I don't care. And in short, they don't expect the people who rule us to abolish the monarchy. Um, there, was a, there was an interesting article in, in the National Post called uh, Canada's anti-monarchists want a revolution and they should admit it. And it's interesting because here the, 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 po the National Post inadvertently reveals the true nature of the question of the abolition of the monarchy in Canada. The monarchy and in in the Senate are completely undemocratic institutions which can and will be used to prevent the expression of the will of the majority. And they lie at the heart of our political system. And it's almost impossible to get rid of them within the current legal framework. The, ru the ruling class have made has made sure of that. And as we've seen, that's because they don't trust democracy. They don't trust the will of the majority. So really the, the National Post article should be titled Canada's monarchists oppose democracy, but will never admit it. Uh, but that means that the, the, the democracy in, in Canada, uh, the monarchy in Canada, sorry, cannot be uh, abolished by a parliamentary or co constitutional means. Means that the people who are increasingly anti-monarchist uh, are left with no other means of overthrowing the monarchy than through revolutionary direct democratic methods. Um, And here I'm going to take a little tangent, but because in Quebec, in Quebec, the, it takes a different character. The question is a bit different because, because it's sort of tied to the question of independence. 
Um, and of course, here, uh, a large majority of people, 73%, want to abolish the monarchy. And I don't know, there's something about being colonized and oppressed by the British Empire that somehow made us not like the Queen. Uh, but but it's it's quite interesting to note that actually and, and quite scandalous that the, the party in power actual uh, at this moment, the Coalition Avenir Québec, the, the CAC, uh, it, which are nationalists, they, they pretend to be the champions of Quebecers, uh, have been very weak on the monarchy. They have refused to support the symbolic motion in the National Assembly demanding the abolition of, of the monarchy. They, they, vote, they voted no in, in that motion. Uh, they equivocated the, the saying, oh yes, we don't like the monarchy either, but you know, it's, it's not the time. And of course it will never be the time for them because while well, they defend the capitalist status quo and they understand the usefulness of the, the monarchy in the Senate, uh, but perhaps even more scandalously, they chose to fly the Quebec flag at half mast for the funerals of Prince Philip, something that they could not pretend they absolutely had to do. Uh, and so the, the bourgeois nationalism of the, the CAC pretends to defend Quebecers by attacking immigrants, but they, they, they bend the knee uh, when it comes to American bosses and, and to the representatives of the British Empire that, that is our historical oppressor. Um, but there's other parties like the Parti Québécois and the left-wing party uh, Québec Solidaire uh, for whom the, the answer is that of independence. And so you have Gabriel Nadeau-Dubois, one of the leaders of, of Quebec Solidaire, who said, uh, oh, we certainly have to do it. How do we do it? It's very simple, the independence of Quebec. When, so when you put it that way, it sounds very, very obvious. We just go get out of Canada. Of course, there's a tiny caveat that, well, this solution would not solve anything for people in English Canada. But, you know. uh, but as Marxists in, in Quebec and, and Canada, we understand that it would not be a solution. Uh, and of course, Marxists, uh, as Marxists, we defend the right of peoples to serve the self-determination. And workers in, in, in Canada should defend the right of Quebecers to separate if they democratically decide so. The first step to building unity and solidarity between workers of Quebec and English Canada is the recognition of the right to self-determination of Quebec. Uh, that being said, we should point out that independence would not necessarily be easier than ab abolishing the, the monarchy altogether. And also, there's, it's a different question of whether it would be a good idea in, in itself to uh, independence. But uh, it would not necessarily be easier than abolishing the, the monarchy. And an independence re referendum would also be confronted, would also be... Uh, uh, be uh, faced with the, the limits of the, the Canadian constitution, like the abolition of the, uh, just, just like the abolition of the monarchy. The Canadian constitution is an anti-democratic tool that prevents us from using the methods of bourgeois democracy, not only to abolish the monarchy, but also to achieve independence. Uh, the, the, um, the Supreme Court said in 1998, in the infamous reference regarding the, the secession of Quebec, it said, Quebec could not, despite the clear referendum re uh, result, purport to invoke a right of self-determination to dictate the terms of a proposed secession to the other parties of the federation. Uh, the, the democratic vote, by however strong a majority, would have no legal effect on its own and could not push aside the principles of federalism. Uh, in short, 
whatever the majority of Quebecers decide, it's still caught up in the, the, the Canadian constitution. And that, that's also the meaning behind the, the scandalous uh, anti-democratic Clarity Act that was adopted by the Liberal Party of Canada in 2000, which gives the House of Commons the right to refuse to recognize the democratic will of the majority of Quebecers in case of, of uh, the victory of a referendum. So even in the, the event of a victory vote, uh, of a majority yes vote in referendum for separation, the same kinds of legal and constitutional obstacles would be imposed on Quebec as for the abolition of the monarchy. Uh, the Canadian ruling class cannot afford to lose a province that represents 20% of its GDP. The Canadian state would use all legal means at its disposal to block an attempt at secession. And Jean Chrétien was uh, the Prime Minister of Canada at the time of the 1995 uh, referendum. Um, it even later admitted that he had planned on refusing to accept secession in the case of a majority yes vote. Um, and there's also signs uh, that the Canadian army was preparing to deploy in Quebec in 1995. So just like with the abolition of the monarchy, Canadian, uh, the Canadian capitalist class is not ready to accept the rule of the majority when it comes to the right to self-determination of, of the Quebecois. We are faced with the same limit, the con that is constitution, the law, the state. The Canadian ruling class that does not give us the democratic right to separate nor to abolish the, the monarchy. Uh, it wouldn't be easier, as Gabriel Nadeau-Dubois claims, to abolish the monarchy in Quebec through independence. In both uh, cases, the, the legal constitutional path is blocked by the Canadian state and therefore forces us to re uh, resort to revolutionary means. Uh, but most nationalists, especially the bourgeois nationalists like those in the, the Parti Québécois, will never go through, will never use uh, revolutionary means. Mario Dumont and Lucien Bouchard, who, who were two of the three leaders of the Yes camp in, in uh, uh, the, the Yes side in in 1995, admitted in interviews later that they had no intention of really going through with independence unless it had, had a really big majority. Their plan was to use it uh, just as a negotiating tool with Ottawa to get better concessions. And it's really the classic attitude of bourgeois nationalists. If they were confronted with the power of the Canadian state, they would immediately uh, back down. It is not that they would, they, like, they would not back, uh, risk their own privileged socioeconomic status just for independence, let alone for the abolition of the monarchy. Um, so rather than trying to fight this fight alone in our corner as Quebecers and counting on, on the, the bourgeois nation, nationalists to, to lead that fight, uh, as, as Marxists in Quebec, we think our best allies in the fight against the monarchy and the reactionary Canadian state are in the working class of the rest of Canada. Uh, in fact, it would be counterproductive to, to fight this battle alone in our cor corner as Quebecers, while a growing majority of Canadians are, are opposed to the monarchy. So the best way to achieve the abolition of the monarchy is through class unity, a unity of Quebecois and Canadian workers against our common enemy, the Canadian capitalist class and its state. And this solidarity should also be extended to indigenous people, actually. Um, and I'm going to go on another tangent here. 
because that, some people have argued that in indigenous people should oppose the abolition of the monarchy. They have argued that abolishing it would be harmful to indigenous people. And the argument uh, is that the treaties that were concluded um, by uh, with the, the First Nations following the Royal Proclamation of 1763 were concluded with the British Crown. And these three, these treaties are the basis of the land claims of, of many uh, First Nations who use them to protect their territories in court. So some colonists and commentators are saying that if the monarchy were uh, abolished in Canada, it might, it might cancel the treaties. Uh, of course, we should be sensitive to, to these feelings among some, some indigenous people, but it's extremely uh, uh, hypocritical, for example, uh, of the national post of any people to, to uh, get, that is not exactly a friend of indigenous people to now use this kind of argument to defend a racist institution like the, the British crown. Furthermore, uh, it's the same crown that was at the head of the British and then the Canadian state that oppressed indigenous people for centuries. Uh, the same crown that has con continually refused to respect its treaty obligations. And now we should leave it in place in the name of respecting treaties that it does not respect. Uh, besides from a, a legal point of view, it, it's not at all clear that this argument holds water. So it's, so it's not clear that uh, it would cancel treaties, but I won't go into that because, well, I'm not a lawyer. Uh, but anyway, um, his story has shown that when it comes to dealing with indigenous, indigenous people, the Canadian state has never cared much uh, about its own laws uh, and the decisions of its own courts. In fact, all this argument points to is that indigenous rights and their, their, their treaty rights will never be secure under capitalism. It's true that there is a fear that the Canadian Catholic state could use the pretext of the abolition of the monarchy if that ever happened. But, and as we've seen, that is very, very unlikely, but that, that it could, could use this pretext to break with the treaties. But this only underlines the necessity of going through a revolution to abolish the monarchy. The Canadian state constantly attacks First Nations peoples because the, because the Canadian capitalist class considers them to be obstacles in the, the, the way of capitalist development. Real estate developers, oil barons, and other uh, not very nice people uh, need access to land, uh, but uh, and that's why they, they want to tear up the, the treaties and bulldoze over, uh, bulldoze over First Nations peoples. And, and in the capitalists drive to trample over the rights of First Nations and, and uh, indigenous people in general, the, the, the federal state is their weapon. That means that, uh, this means that the, the, the enemies of uh, indigenous people are also our enemies as Quebecois and as ca Canadian workers. We have the same class enemies and the monarchy and the Senate are the anti-democratic tools of our common oppressors. And so to conclude, um, as in, in, inequalities grow and as our society sinks into a, a, a sanitary and economic crisis, more and more workers will demand profound changes. Uh, but the Canadian ruling class cannot allow workers to have a real say uh, because otherwise ca the, cap the rule of the capitalists would be in danger. 
cap the, the capitalist order is based on the exploitation of workers and therefore on these inequalities. That's the real role of the, the monarchy in the Senate to protect the rule of the capitalists by suppressing democracy if necessary. And as I said, it's the reserve weapon. It's, it's their last line of defense. So for the, the, the workers to really emancipate themselves, to put an end to the deep, to the profound inequalities and uh, the numerous uh, oppressions against indigenous people, against the, the right to self-determination of Quebec, against immigrants and, and so on and so forth. It's going to, to take a, a real economic and political democracy. It's going to take the, the, the abolition of the monarchy. And the, the ruling class has, has designed its political system in such a way that it cannot be changed by any other means than revolutionary ones. It will require a revolutionary movement against the Canadian state, which would unite the different peoples of Canada in a struggle against their common oppressor, the Canadian capitalist class and its state. Only a revolutionary program for a real democracy, not only a political, but also uh, economic democracy would be able to achieve this unity. Uh, a socialist republic would be the first instance of a real democracy. And by expropriating the, the major levers of the economy, which are currently in the hands of a handful of ultra-rich people, we could manage the economy in a democratic manner to satisfy the needs of the majority, uh, all the while safeguarding the treaty rights of, of indigenous, indigenous people. And this kind of democracy would have nothing to do with the current society where we decide every four years which businessman is going to screw us. Um, we could then throw out uh, all the rotten middle-aged uh, relics like the, the Queen of England, the, the Senate, the, the Senate and, and so on and so forth. So, yeah, thank you. Thank you for listening to Fight Back Radio. Fight Back is a revolutionary organization fighting for the socialist transformation of society. We are the Canadian section of the International Marxist Tendency. We actively seek to educate workers and youth in the genuine ideas of Marxism in order to fight back against capitalist attacks and austerity and bring an end to capitalism. However, we won't be able to do this on our own. So if you agree with us, get involved. We can be found online at marxist.ca, on Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok at Canada Marxists, on Instagram at Socialist Fightback, and on YouTube as Fightback La Riposte. For international news and analysis, check out In Defense of Marxism at marxist.com. The music in this episode was General Strike by Soul Jazz Orchestra. They can be found at souljazzorchestra.com.